Hello, Four Star Nation, and welcome back to another special Saturday episode, interview episode, I'm sorry, of the Four Star Sports Show. Uh, very special guest, a, a guy that, man, when I thought about it last night, Greg, I've known you for over 20 years now. Uh, we played softball a little bit together back in the day. Uh, Mr. Greg Gaston from Sports 56. Greg, thank you very much for being on the show today. It's a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. And Eli Savoy will be joining us soon, by the way, fans as well. Yeah, I know him pretty well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's your other that's your, hey, that's, uh, your, that's your other half. Yeah, I was just <laughs> the other half is uh, Eli Savoy will be on. Of course, Greg, you and Eli have been doing a show, uh, man, it seems like my entire life now. Uh, on Sports 56. Uh, can you give us a little background into how and you how how you and Eli got together? Yeah, absolutely. So Eli came to me in 2005, and I didn't know him that well. He had been at uh, Sports 56. I had been at Sports 56 a couple of uh, different shows. You guys may recall, you may not. I had a show with Michael Eves, who's now on ESPN, and worked uh, with me over at Channel 24 and 30. And I it was also a great job. Show, and I did a show with Peter Edmiston, when Peter had first graduated from the University of Tennessee and got in the business, we did a show. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't on the air for that long, and uh, we were just trying to get our, our feet wet, and boom, we, um, we had the show dissolve. And so I was out of local radio, but I was doing all my television work and my play-by-play -play work, so I didn't think anything of it. And then Eli approached me about doing the show together, and I said, absolutely. And this was 2005. So this is before, I believe, the somewhat demise of local sports on, on television as far as the newscasts are concerned a lot has changed over the years since i started back in 1985. so when eli approached me i said yeah let's do this thing and we've been doing it ever since we started out as a two-hour show and it became a three-hour show after the death of george lapidus we took over his hour so we go 10 to 1 monday through friday and like i said i've been doing it since 2005. we get the longest running show in the city of Memphis, and it's you know, we, we've seen an awful lot. We've we've been uh, dealing with a lot of different topics and subjects. Some great, some not so great. Great interviews as far as guests are concerned over the years. So we've had an awful lot of fun doing it together. And the one thing you'll get with our show on Sports Fifty Six is if you like confrontation, you'll get confrontation because most of the time Eli and I don't see eye to eye, and that's not anything that is forced or coerced or uh, thought about beforehand. This just happens naturally. There's a lot of things that we just disagree upon, and we like to have fun. We also like to bring in our, our listeners as well to be a part of that conversation. So we do it for three hours each and every weekday. Yeah, Greg, you can basically say it's part of like a best friend love hate relationship because <laughs> me and you know me and Wes, you know, we grew up together since third grade. You know, we don't. We claim that we grew up together a lot with other people, but me and him don't see eye to eye just like you and Eli. And those are two people that, you know, you and Eli that we do look up to as well. So like I said, I appreciate everything that y'all do for that because I know it's a lot of hard work and I know it's a lot of prep work. But can you talk about your background to our fans as well before you joined Sports 56? Absolutely. So I'm from the Northeast, but I've been a Southerner now for 31 years. So you guys can claim me. I think that's long enough, but I did grow up <laughs> in South and then went to the University of Maryland from 1980 to 84. Now, the whole time, I was always in the back of my mind thinking I'm going to be a sportscaster. I mean, from, from the time I was a little kid. Sure, I wanted to be a pro athlete, but once uh, once you get to the uh, realization that you're not going to be, 
what's the next best thing? So I love to talk, love sports. I mean, I can't tell you as a kid how many different sports I played, all the sports I watched. So I, I knew what I wanted to do. Now doing it and wanting to do it are two different things. So I graduated college in 84, went back to my home in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and got into radio. And the first thing I did was overnight, midnight to 6 a.m. All I was doing was at the top of the hour, given the temperature and the time, and playing reel-to-reel talk radio. Reel-to-reel. We'd go on, put the reels on, and it was just as boring as you would think it is. But it was my, it was my end of that radio station. So I started doing that. And then my next gig, I was able to get a sports job in radio at a small radio station, but I had to do sales, and I was selling to a to an area where they couldn't even get us on the radio. They, they could not even hear our signal. So it was an impossible sale. So I moved on, went back to the old station I started at and did news. And I am not, look, I've had all kinds of offers to move over into news. I don't like doing news. I hate politics. I just don't want to deal with that stuff. So I started to do that a little bit, knowing again, this is my way in. And I was able to do some things over with the sports. And they had a sports guy by the name of Jim Wise who became the voice of the Philadelphia 76ers. And I would go up to Philadelphia and I would cover the Phillies and do some things with the, the Sixers, just a few things here and there. And I was nervous and just a young guy trying to get into the business, interviewing these, these stars. And so I would do that for a little bit. And by 1985, I decided I, I want to move on to television. So I put a tape together at a little uh, Time Warner I believe it was Time Warner Studio that would cost me $50. And what I did was I, I taped a local sportscast from, from Philadelphia, from the news. So I had the visuals. And what I did was we took the audio off and I did the play-by-play or I did the intro into the highlights. So I did a sportscast by just watching the highlights and talking. And that little tape I sent out to a couple of places. And it is very hard to be able to, to get even a callback I did, and I got a job out of it in 1985. I was in Maryland, and I was a sportscaster at uh, WPTY-TV, and I was um, WMDT, excuse me, WPTY is here, WMDT-TV, and I started in 85, and I was the weekend guy for three months, and then the general manager came up to me and said, listen, we want to make you the sports director. So I became the sports director. My two children were born in, in Salisbury, Maryland, where I worked, which was the uh, Delmarva Peninsula, Salisbury, Maryland, Dover, Delaware, uh, Northern Virginia. So I was, I was going, I was closing in on being, coming a little bit more of a Southerner as I was getting closer to, and even beyond the Mason Dixon line. <laughs> but I, uh, I started to do that, and I did that for ten years. Again, I didn't have any ambition to leave. I was one of those guys who sent tapes to ESPN and all that. I just, I was enjoying life, having fun. I would cover all the Washington sports. So I'd go over and cover the Redskins, or we'd go to Baltimore and cover the Orioles before the Nationals were there. And I did it for 10 years. The kids started to grow up, and then I said, you know what, it's time to leave. So I went, I had my, my agent, I got me a couple of interview, interviews. I interviewed in, in, in Phoenix, Arizona, and then two days later, I flew into Memphis and interviewed in Memphis. Memphis offered me the next day, and as they say, the rest is history. I've been here ever since. Wow. It's a long story, but I have a lot of yeah, it's a, story. No, that's 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 an awesome answer to that question. Um, Greg, when you look at the Memphis area of sports, uh, of course, you've been there 30 years now, so it's essentially your hometown. Uh, talk a little bit about the fan bases in Memphis and just 
how rabid these fans really are. I mean, well, compare them to can you compare them to Maryland because you are a diehard Maryland fan as well. So, well, I, I think from a Maryland standpoint, the the Memphis fans are way more rabid. Now, if you start going Philadelphia, that's you you guys know they, what you hear about Philadelphia fans is true. So there's there's nobody I think like Philadelphia fans. They're crazy. They will turn on you at the drop of a hat, which is not always a good thing. Memphis fans are faithful, but Memphis fans are rabbit. And you say something bad about one of them, they're going to jump all over you. You guys know that. You're probably part of that. And I really appreciate Memphis <laughs> Look, I've been here. I've been here 31 years, not just because I've had good gigs, but because I love the area. And I love the area because of the people. There is such a big difference between what they say, the Southern hospitality and where I come from in the rat race of the Northeast. It is absolutely true. I love being here. I love being here because of you guys, because of the people of the South. And as fans, you guys are absolutely terrific. Memphis has been through hardships, one after another after another. An absolute blue-collar fan base who love and protect their entities. And now, since I came here in 95, those entities have grown, as I see Eli joining us now. But when I came here, there wasn't the Grizzlies, there wasn't AutoZone Park. There wasn't a lot of things that we have now. And while we don't have four professional teams in the sense of NHL, NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, you know, to have an NBA team and to progress the way we progress, I think it's fabulous. But I, I think the fans here, you know, sometimes do they go a little overboard? Sometimes they do, but that's because they're protecting their players, their teams, and, and it's really legitimate. They are, they're honest and open about it, and they'll let you know it. Yeah, most definitely. Well, four-star sports show. Uh, yeah, four-star sports show. Uh, special interview today with Eli Savoy and Greg Gaston. Uh, Eli Savoy, thank you very much for being on the show with us today. Hey, no problem, guys. Sorry, sorry I'm a little late. It's all good, bro. Talk about a little oh, bit about good. your uh, background, Eli. Eli, I'll ask you. That's what I was just getting ready to ask. Go ahead. What was that? Your background a little bit. I know you're from Chicago. Oh. I know you're a diehard Cubs fan. We'll talk about that later, but go ahead and talk about your background. Yeah, I uh, I grew up about an hour south of Chicago um, and grew up. A, I'm a farm boy. Grew up on, in the middle of nowhere, basically, um, in Illinois. But uh, then, then went to Southern Illinois uh, University at Edwardsville. Uh, spent a couple of years uh, right there. That was right. That's right outside of St. Louis. So. Spent a couple of years in St. Louis when I first got out of college. Then I went into uh, Rolla, Missouri, then up to Iowa, and then finally came down to Memphis uh, in 2003 was when I made my way to Memphis and uh, had never been to Memphis before in my life um, and now and didn't know how long I would be here. Certainly didn't know I'd be here this long, but uh, but I've fallen in love with this place and uh, so I've uh, really enjoyed being in Memphis and uh, it's, it's, uh, I don't plan on leaving now. Well, Eli, talk a little bit about your counterpart on screen, Mr. Greg Gaston. Uh, I know he mentioned earlier that it's a, it's a natural, a natural headbutt between y'all. So, uh, go ahead and spill <laughs> a little beans on Greg. Talk a little bit about your, about your, uh, counterpart. Well, yeah, I mean, we've been now it's, it's almost, uh, we've been doing the show for so long. Um, I think we kind of get a pretty good idea of what each one of us is and, uh, yeah, there's a, we, we disagree on a lot of things, which I guess, uh, is good probably on the radio. So, 
um, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it makes, it makes for good radio and, uh, it, it's pretty easy to do the show together now. Cause I think each of us kind of know one another's tendencies, habits, whatever, um, and, and could kind of always have the ability to push each other's buttons if we need to. You know, Eli, I just want to say, you know, since I've known you, since you covered Christian Myers high school football, you know, you've been an inspiration to me growing up as well, covering high school football. You know, ever since, you know, when me and Mark did the Shelby Metro scoreboard show, you've been a real helpful for this area. You know, like I told Greg, he's been around the game as well. So I appreciate what you've done for the city of Memphis as well, Eli. Well, as I, well. Totally, I appreciate that. Yeah, Christian Brothers football has been fun. I've been doing it for almost 20 years now, which is <laughs> which is weird to say. But, uh, but yeah, I, I certainly enjoy that and uh, enjoy doing the, the football games over there at Christian Brothers. Enjoy. I, I like the play-by-play side of things anyway, so – uh, that's given me an opportunity to do that uh, all these different years. And uh, I keep thinking that maybe one one of these days I'm going to give it up, but I keep waiting to win. A, I'm wanting to, them to win a state championship. That's what I'm kind of hoping for. If they win a state championship, then I'll probably give it up for uh, at that point. Well, they do still have that stud running back. Thank <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, I they certainly have the opportunity right now. This is probably the best chance they've had to win a state championship. This this team next year could be could be really good. Brandon? Yeah, most definitely. Brandon, do you have anything? Yeah, uh, Eli, uh, how you feel about the Cubs being the worst team in the NL Central now that uh, Nolan Arenado <laughs> is the St. Louis Cardinal? Well, the the, the, uh, the the Cole Cubs situation is absolutely ridiculous. The fact that their ownership is acting like they don't have any money is beyond ridiculous at this point. They've um, they basically bought up the entire area around Wrigley Field. That's all mm-hmm. theirs. They're uh, making money hand over fist. They just started their own TV network. And to act like because of the pandemic, they can't, they're broke and don't have any money and now are doing all these cost-cutting measures is absolutely ridiculous. So it's um, it, it's the, the, the money they made off winning that World Series title alone oh, um, yeah. should have set them for years. But it's just, it's just being, it's a, it's a billionaire owner being very cheap, and it drives me crazy. But well, I was pick it for the Cardinals. That, 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 <laughs> Cole Schmidt and Arenado in the middle of the lineup is pretty darn good. Well, which, which, and, you know, I was very yeah, surprised. Yeah. So I saw the Cardinals yesterday offered the trade and everything. And I was very surprised to see it go through um, because the Cardinals, like as a Cardinals fan my whole life, I've complained that the uh, ownership group has been cheap, you know. Uh, they're just a cheap ownership group. It, it's almost the same deal as the Cubs right now. They own the whole area around both Stadium. They have all the support that they need in their fans. They sell out just about every game. There's about 40,000 people at every game pre-pandemic. So uh, in uh, post-pandemic, you're going to have a lot of people too. They've already announced, I think they're going to have 12,000 fans, at, uh, allow 12,000 fans at Cardinals games this year, which will be a good thing. It, it start to get fans back into baseball. Um, I really enjoyed what they did with the World Series and the uh, NLCS this year. Um, that was really encouraging to see. But, um, yeah, the the Cardinals are in the same boat as the Cubs, so it actually shocked me to see that go down yesterday because the Cardinals, I mean, they give Adam Wainwright $8 million for one year. There's rumors going around that Yadier Molina is going to sign a one-year deal uh, after he gets done with this uh, – Caribbean series that he's playing in and they just went and got Nolan Arenado. I mean, uh, it's, it's flipped on its head, you know, it's weird. Yeah, 
that trade to me makes them clearly the best team in the NL Central. Uh, that 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 you know, with him in the middle of that lineup, like I said, with Goldschmidt. Uh, as a Cub fan, that pains me to say, but uh, but yeah, they are clearly the the best team in the Central right now. I think. Eli and Greg, I got a college football question for both of y'all since we haven't really talked to y'all. Um, who is y'all's uh, surprise team and y'all's most disappointment team that kind of basically didn't so you know make the expectations this year in college football? Do y'all? Hmm. College football surprise team. You want to go first, Eli? Well, I would to me the surprise team would be would be Notre Dame. I didn't think Notre Dame was going to be that good, um, and I, I don't think I think I thought they would be good. I didn't think of them as a playoff team going into the season at all. Um, especially you know getting into beating Clemson that first time. I you know even without Trevor Lawrence, I didn't think Notre Dame was possibly that good. So they would be uh, probably my surprise team. The disappointment. I would probably, and it, it results in a coaching change. I would say Auburn was was disappointing because I thought Auburn, with what they had coming back, the fact with the off season being changed the way it was, I thought they would be, you know, having a returning quarterback, everything else, a lot of experience returning, they would be really good, and they were obviously not very good, and that's why Gus Malzahn is fired. I'd probably go with for the surprise team in in a good way, Texas A and M. Because I don't think anybody had faith in Kellen Mond, and people were starting to question whether or not it was worth bringing Jimbo Fisher to College Station if they can't compete and battle Alabama, because that's what he's there for, having won a national championship in Florida State. And lo and behold, they were right there. You could make the argument that they should have been in the playoff. I think they got the right four teams. I think Notre Dame deserved. Texas A&M was right there, ready to get a playoff spot. So I, I would say they surprised a few people. And Kellen Mond, I think, surprised a lot of people as well. From a, from a negative standpoint, I, I would just – I don't know if I pinpoint one team, but I would say, once again, the entire Pac-12. Maybe Oregon would be at, at the lead. Stanford, Washington, none of these teams. USC hung in there, and it is good news for Clay Helton, our friend, who, who frequents our show, their head coach, because it looked like he would be gone. But they were able to be basically the best of the best. And then the rest of the conference was absolutely terrible. And if the Pac-12 continues to do this, they're never going to have a seat at the table. They've had two appearances in the years that we've had the playoff, one Washington, one Oregon, and that's been it. So I, I would say Oregon leading the way. But now remember, they started late with the pandemic and all that. I understand all that. But I would say it's still the Pac-12 as a Power 5 conference is still a major disappointment. Uh, Greg, with talking about college football, uh, of course, the biggest news recently is uh, the what's going on on the Hill in Knoxville. Uh, when you look at the two moves that Tennessee made this week, uh, bringing in Danny White as the athletic director from Central Florida, and then in turn bringing in Josh Heifel, give me and this question is for both Greg and Eli. Give me your uh, give me your grade on a hire. As, the, as an athletic director and also a head coach. Uh, Greg, you go first. Okay. I, I don't like to use minuses and pluses when I give grades. I give Danny White and that hired A. Danny White has been terrific throughout his career as a leader of, of an institution's athletic department, and I think he'll do a great job at Tennessee. For the hiring of head coach Josh Heupel, right now I would say that's – I'll give it a B, but my lean is almost toward a C. 
I like Heichel. I think he's a solid coach. They went out and they got a guy who can put points on the board with his team, and he certainly can can deal with quarterbacks, which is the biggest issue right now at Tennessee. So I like all that. I think at UCF after Scott Frost left, as he inherited his players in that first year and had a great year, and then last year, this past season, I think they were six and four. So I'm not sold yet on Heifel, the X's and O's guy, and I'll be curious to see what he does on the defensive end and who he brings in. But I'll still give it a B because at least they didn't go out and get another defensive head coach. They went out and they got an offensive-minded guy. Yeah. Eli, go ahead. I, I would say, to me, the hire of Danny White is an A+. Plus. I, don't, I don't think they could have done better. And to do it as quickly as they did, um, I, I think, was outstanding. I mean, to, they need stability. Like, they, they've been going through athletic directors. They've been going through head coaches. They've been going through chancellors and presidents, everything else. They need stability, and to go get Danny White and be able to do it that quickly, I think was was unbelievable. Because if it, if it ended up taking them two months to hire an AD, um, then you're not going to probably have a new head coach for the next coming season. You're going to lose out on another year of recruiting, everything else. To get him an established AD who has been extremely successful, who's made great hires of head coaches wherever he's been, um, I, I think was great. And to do it quickly enough where he could come in and bring Josh Heupel with him. Heupel, my, my thing on this is I look at it, the hiring of Heupel. I, I think some Tennessee fans need to just realize what they are and what that job is right now. When you consider the, the probable NCAA sanctions that are coming down the road, to go get a guy who has been a head coach, who's been successful, he's got a background in the SEC with his offense at Missouri being very successful. He's developed quarterbacks. He's um, and he's the, Tennessee hasn't been in the top 100 in the nation offensively in the last four years. Josh Heupel's been in the top 10 in the nation the last four years with his offense. They need offense. They wanted offense. They went and got their guy. So I, I would give the hire of Heupel probably a, a B plus a minus. I, I think it's it's we, with what the Tennessee job is right now. As I, as I always say, this is a school that once hired Derek Dooley, for goodness sake. You can't be telling me that Josh Heupel's a bad guy. <laughs> Greg, I mean, like, uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, good point. Hey, here's, here's, hey, I, I, that's, that's, I think when you look at Dooley, <laughs> here's, here's the thing. That's this true. Uh, Derek Dooley's the greatest hire in Tennessee history. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing, guys. Go ahead, Greg. You got you got now with Danny White, and if you put your faith in Danny White, and I think they should be, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he's made the right choice. I'm just not 100% sold on the, the X's and O's of this guy as a head coach watching many games that he has coached in with UCF. So we'll see. Yeah, Memphis game for an example. Yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> Yeah, Memphis game for an example, but also uh, just based on what I've seen, he doesn't make very good adjustments. Uh, and that's just my personal opinion. That's based off what I've seen him do. Uh, I have not seen Josh Heupel make in-game adjustments and halftime adjustments to improve his football team. But that's just my opinion. Uh, Greg, when you look at the big game coming up next Sunday, which is the Super Bowl, uh, give me, Greg and Eli both, Give me y'all's winners and give me also your keys to victory for both of these teams. Okay, so with, with, with Kansas City, they obviously have a million weapons. 
And for Tampa Bay, I, I don't know how you defend Patrick Mahomes because even if they get pressure on Mahomes, he can burn you because he's so mobile out of the pocket. He can throw from every angle. He's able to get rid of the football. I don't see how Kansas City loses the Super Bowl. Now, for some reason, and I don't have any stake in this as far as a dog in the fight with Tom Brady being a fan of Brady or being a fan of the Patriots, because I'm not. Now, of course, with, with Tampa Bay, there's no connection for me. I'm a Colts fan. But I'm kind of pulling for Tom Brady. I just think it's an incredible story. He's going to be 44 years old this summer. In one year, he's taking Tampa Bay to their first Super Bowl. I love the storyline. On the flip side, Patrick Mahomes going back-to-back winning Super Bowl titles, that's a pretty good story as well. I don't see right now, guys, with eight days to go, Kansas City losing the Super Bowl as well as Tampa Bay has played with three road wins in the playoffs and the fact that they're home, which shouldn't be that big of a difference because we're obviously in COVID and it's not a full state, full stadium with all the Tampa Bay fans. But I think it's going to be hard to beat. So I'm going to go Kansas City as far as winning the game. On the flip side, how can Tampa Bay win this game? That offensive line, they have to protect him. If Kansas City and Jones and those guys, if they can get into Brady's grill, he has nowhere to go. We saw it last week in the three interceptions against Green Bay, under pressure, back foot. He chucked a couple, two really bad interceptions. One was a deflection that threw a little high to, to Mike Evans. So they're going to look for quick passes. I think they're going to go a lot of times with Fournette out of the backfield, and, and they'll go with Ronald Jones out of the backfield. As long as he has time, though, he can pick you apart. That's the key right there. If they can protect for Brady, we're going to have a hell of a game. It's going to be a lot of fun. If they can't and they get some pressure on Tom, I think it's going to be a long day for Tampa Bay. Yeah, I mean, to me, um, the only way Tampa Bay wins the game, they're going to have to run the heck out of the ball. They're basically, you have to shorten the game. I mean, you, you're going to have to control the clock because you're, the, the, the only way of stopping Kansas City is basically keeping the ball away from them. And then you're going to have to get pressure on Mahomes and hopefully maybe you could create a turnover or two. Because um, we saw in the first matchup when Tyreek Hill had 200 receiving yards in the first quarter. Like, they don't have anybody to guard him. And and I think you you can't run the ball against Tampa Bay. Their run defense is the best in the league. But I don't think Tampa, I don't think Kansas City will even try to run the ball. I don't think they care to run the ball. Their running game will be the jet sweeps with Tyreek Hill or McCole Hardman getting to the outside. They don't they don't need to run the ball. It'll be short passes. It'll be jet sweep will be their running game. And then to just let Mahomes. So if you don't if 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 they don't get pressure on Mahomes, uh, they're in for another long day just like they were in the first matchup in that first quarter. Um, and I know, you know, Kansas City kind of backed off a little bit and only ended up winning that game by three. But I just, uh, right now, I just don't think anybody um, can beat Kansas City because um, I don't think you can keep up with them um, scoring-wise. And I don't think uh, this Tampa Bay pass defense is good enough to get the stops they need in order to uh, to, to win the game. So I, I think Kansas City wins it um, fairly comfortably. I, I mean, I think it's probably a, a 10 to 14 point game at least for Kansas City. Uh, Brandon, go ahead. Uh, guys, so time for the sensitive subject, Memphis basketball. Um, where do you stand in, ha- uh, in the growth of this team over the last month? Uh, they look a lot, they look like a completely different team than they did 
uh, to start the season. I will say that. But do you see any potential for Memphis to kind of make a run and go to the NCAA tournament? Uh, Eli, we can start with you on that one. Yeah, I mean, could they? Absolutely. I mean, they've shown here in these these recent games that um, that they have that potential. I mean, we know the talent is there, and they've actually started making some shots. I mean, the whole thing with this team for the last two years has been about offense because defensively, they're one of the best teams in the nation, and they were last year, and they continue to be in with the length and athleticism they have. They're going to be great defensively, so they're always going to keep themselves – in games it's whether offensively they can score enough points and when they're making threes like they have in these last few games they're they certainly have the potential to beat anybody on any given day it's can that continue is the question um you know there's still not very many guys on that team that you're real confident when they shoot the basketball i mean landers dolly when he shoots a three you feel pretty good about it i'm not sure there's anybody else on that team that you're going to be real confident when they shoot a three now again They've started going in a little bit more, so that's a good thing. And they and they finally have figured out the way to use Musa Cisse to make him effective. Now, the last game against SMU, he didn't have to do much, but they have figured out that the only way he can be effective is basically getting lobs and things at the rim. You can't give him the ball with his back to the basket and expect something good to happen. He's just not that skilled offensively at this point. He's a great defensive player, so you like having him on the court. And offensively, if you can get the dribble penetration and just throw the lobs to him, then that's when they're that's when he's most effective. So if they can continue to get you know the, the production they have out of him, continue to make some shots, yeah, they certainly have the ability. And especially with the schedule they've got coming up, other than Houston, every game remaining on the schedule is very, very winnable. Um, and then if you, you hope that maybe you yeah. could get the home game against Houston, and then you're right there. You're, you're certainly in the in the conversation for that large bid. Okay, let me start with, with the schedule. And Eli's right that there's so many winnable games, but it's not going to be the amount of wins, although that's certainly a, a part of the criteria. It's going to be who you beat. So I think it's going to come down. As long as they don't screw up and, and lose these games against UCF or East Carolina, they need to beat Houston at least one of the two. At least one of the two. And Wichita State on the road, and they just beat them by 20. If you can go on a roll here, win these games that you should win, and beat Houston once, Wichita State on the road. So that would only be another, you can afford maybe another loss or two. You could be in the conversation going into the conference tournament. So it, is it possible? Yes. Is it likely? Probably not. The other thing that we've talked a lot about on, on our show is that there could be teams who know they're in the NCAA tournament opting out of the conference tournaments for a couple of reasons, mainly because they don't want to get infected with COVID-19. You're around all these other teams. You're around all these other players. That's a possibility. And I believe I read where there's going to be seven days that you're going to have to test negative before you can play in the NCAA tournament. You don't want to jeopardize your standing in the NCAA tournament. So I'm thinking there is a possibility. I don't, I haven't heard anything. I haven't read anything about it. But there's a possibility in this crazy time we're living in that Houston could opt out. And that would open up the door yeah. for the conference tournament winner to get in and a second team for the American from the American Conference. Because right now, there's one team going for the American, and that's Houston, and that's it. But again, yeah. with Memphis, yeah. everything that Eli said, I, I agree with. They're now making shots. As long as they have that confidence that they can knock down shots led by Landers Nolly, then that's going to be a whole different ball game for them because we know what they can do defensively. 
all about it's all about offense. Defensively, they are dialed in. They are really good. Cisse got the foul trouble against SMU the second time. The first time he did, he's been a yeah. difference maker when he's on the floor. Now, does he have a game that can go 10 feet from the rim? No, he doesn't. But he is dominating inside on these alley-oop, alley-oop dunks and shots and alternate shots. So he needs to be on the court. Although I think Penny made some good moves by taking him out, going smaller in that win against SMU in Memphis, and he tried to do it again in the game in Dallas. So I think strategically, Penny's done some good things. But Musa is a key. Lomax, look, I've said it a million times. I don't think he's a starting point guard that can lead your team deep in an NCAA tournament. I just don't. I think for next year, they have to go out there. They have to look at the transfer portal, maybe even a top-notch junior college guy, and get a better point guard. But he's the best they have right now. And for him not to start the games is ridiculous because they get in a hole every single time. Not that he's great. But he is at least their leader. And when they start a game with, with Jaden Hardaway, with all due respect, they have no point guard on the floor. So I, I'd rather see Lomax in there more than not. And it's weird for me to say this because I've done it about face of 180, but he is their best option. So with Lomax running the show, ceasing on the floor, and then hitting threes, there's no team that they shouldn't be able to beat in this league, maybe with the exception of Houston. But they're going to have to find a way to at least beat Houston one time. So, yes. It's possible, but not highly likely. Eli, uh, this is my last. This is my last question for y'all. But uh, Eli, I know you cover a little bit of Ole Miss basketball for David Kellum when he's not able to. Um, I thought Kermit Davis, you know, this year's team could have made a little bit more noise than what they are right now. And uh, Greg, this is my last question for you as well. But you covered the Memphis women's basketball team a little bit here and there as well. Can you talk about? Um, maybe what's really going on in that program. I know a lot of people want Melissa gone and whatnot, but uh, me personally, we should make the tournament, you know, every other year at least. It's just with all these recruits that Melissa's coming in with. So, Elon, I'll we'll start with you regarding the Ole Miss basketball situation, if you don't mind. Like, what's well, really going on down there? Well, it, it's, it, I mean, it's it's very similar to Memphis. I mean, they're just, they they, they can't shoot. Um, offensively, they are, they have struggled all year long. Um, you know, the game the other night against Arkansas, I think they went one for 16 from three. I think they're shooting below 30% from three-point range as a team. Um, and I, I thought this year they would be better than what they are because uh, Devontae Shuler coming back as a senior, um, you know, one of the better, you know, an all-conference type guy. The transfers that they brought in, with, especially with Romello White down low, the transfer from Arizona State, who you know looked like he was going to be a double double machine, I, it just it just hasn't worked offensively. They they it's it's the same thing. I mean, if you can't make shots in in, in any basketball now, but I mean, if, if you can't make the three ball, you're not going to be very good offensively. And they're they're a very good defensive team for the most part. Um, they're not as consistent defensively as Memphis is. But they, they can get after you. They do it more more with a zone than they do with their man-to-man. But they just can't score. I mean, it, it's the bottom line. I mean, if, you, if, if you're going to rely on holding teams, you know, under 60 points to try and win games, you're just not going to be very successful doing that. As, as far as the Memphis women are concerned, and I know going back, as you alluded to, the uh, there was some players that were disgruntled and they were trying to say that Melissa did this, Melissa did that. And it seemed like when it all came down to it that it may have been some disgruntled players and it was unfounded because all the current players 
said no, and they had they supported her. I, I don't know all the intricacies that go on behind closed doors, but it seemed like uh, that was the case, and these players have her back and support her. As far as this year's team is concerned, the games that I have broadcast, they have played well. They have won games. I don't know the record off the top of my head. They start to blend together, but they've played really good basketball when I've done the games. So I have not seen them flounder, but I read the scores and read the box scores on the games that I don't do, especially the road games. And I wonder, you know, what happened there? Because they are a different team at home than they are away. Now, Grant, they have had, and this is, if it's an excuse, it's an excuse, but they have been hit with injuries. I've never seen a team over the last two or three years that have been hit with more injuries and situations with players than they have been hit with. Now, I'm not talking about like just COVID-19 stuff. I'm talking about real injuries that take out players for the season. So she's had to deal with that, a limited bench. She has a couple of seniors who I think are really good down low. They score, and that's where they beat teams. They have a shooter in, in Madison Griggs who set a record last year in the conference for freshmen and set a Memphis record for threes with 96. She hasn't been as good so far this year. Like I said, they got a couple of players that have been out all year, a couple that just came back. So, but you're right. They, they need to go to the, the tournament. They just don't go to the tournament. So that's something that certainly when negotiations come, and I don't know what Melissa's contract is, that, that's something that'll be brought up. But I think, I really do believe she's a good X's and O's coach because I see the strategy, especially down the stretch in close games and how she coaches up her team. And she gets the best out of them sometimes, not, not always, but the games that I have done, all I can say is, all I can speak for is the games that I have done this year. And they have been competitive and they've won the bulk of the games that I've done. So, again, this is going to be a Laird, uh, excuse me, Laird's decision when her contract is up. And again, I don't know where she is because I think she just got an extension, if, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I like her personally, but I can understand the frustration not getting to the tournament well greg i mean from what it sounds like to me you need to just become the new uh play-by-play -play guy <laughs> for the women's basketball because they seem to win when you do the games well I'm, it needs to be, yeah on ESPN plus I, I'm, I'm not about to do uh live <laughs> brandon brandon go ahead uh <laughs> my last question for uh eli and greg um so something that's kind of going unnoticed around the city, um, Hunter Goodman, the catcher in DH for the University of Memphis baseball team, was just named to be a second-team All-American. Um, he has done a terrific job over there at the University of Memphis, and uh, I was wondering what your hopes for Memphis baseball would be this season um, as far as uh, I, I think they need to make an NCAA tournament. Uh, they haven't done it since 2007, I believe. It's been a very long time. And uh, when you have a kid like this who's projected to be a top three-round pick in the Major League Baseball draft, um, you got to take advantage of it. Um, and I was wondering if uh, y'all had a take on where Memphis baseball should be compared to where they are. Okay. Um, I'll start it off if that's okay with Eli. I, I think if there's one guy that everybody pulls for, it, it's Coach Rock. We love Rock. He comes on our show. I think he is uh, just a terrific human being, and, and I think he's a good coach. But 
yeah, it's not often you get a Hunter Goodman fall in your lap. Now, granted, he was able to, to recruit him. He was able to keep Hunter Goodman at home. He played at Arlington and played for the University of Memphis. He could have went anywhere this year. It's just that they, they don't have that. <coughs> he, he's an exception. But as far as the talent is concerned, where they lack it is, at, is on the, uh, the mound. And, and you just, you're Memphis. You're, you're not going to get the pitching staffs that an old Miss gets or, or any of the powers of baseball. And to be able to find maybe a couple of starters, maybe not all three, but if you can get two of the three of your weekend starters that are dominant, you have a chance to make a run. So that's what they've been lacking. They'll have a really good pitcher and then two average pitchers or, or three guys that are just a little bit above average. And that has been an issue for them. So it, like what I talked about with the women's basketball team, you want to see them get to the tournament. It is not easy. And that conference in baseball is really, really tough. From top to bottom, the American conference is really strong in baseball. Again, I'm not talking SEC or anything like that. Eli's done a lot of Ole Miss games. But it is a strong conference. But Hunter Goodman is just the real deal. To, to be able to have called some of his games over the last couple of years has been a pleasure. He was off to another great start last year before everything was shut down by the pandemic. And I expect him to have another huge year. Let's hope that they play the bulk of the games. We don't have any more interruptions. And this guy's going to be one day. There's no question one day he's going to be in the big leagues. But to answer your question, yeah, again, it's one of those deals where you hope – one of these years that they make it to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean, obviously, when you've got a kid like Goodman, you certainly want to take advantage of that. I mean, he's he's unbelievable. It's yeah, and and the, the thing is, there's there's obviously plenty of baseball talent in this area um, to to recruit. Now, the problem is, you you deal with these SEC schools like Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas, Vanderbilt. I mean, these are some of the best Alabama. baseball programs in the country. So they're going to come and get, and, the, and those kids all want to go play in the SEC. So if, if Memphis, you know, how, how can Memphis, you know, keep some of those kids here like they did with Hunter Goodman and get them, that's going to be the key. But yeah, I mean, I, certainly you would think with the talent there is locally around here um, that the University of Memphis should be able to make the tournament, you know, at least every few years. And, and I, I, yeah, I like Sean Rock a, a ton. He's a super guy and everything else. And, but yeah, I mean, the, the next step is to become a tournament team on a fairly regular basis. By the way, are y'all going to Tampa for the Super Bowl yeah. for Radio Row or no? No, there's no. This, okay. I mean, this year there's very limited Radio Row, and there's they're not bringing any guests down there at all. So um, it really isn't uh, isn't worth going down there. So no, we're not we're not doing it this year. I enjoy but listening to that every year. We will have guys. We will have a lot of guests next week like we we normally have except in a different setup as eli said eli's already set up a ton of, of super bowl guests including a bunch of former players that'll join us so we'll try to give you that wall to wall coverage that we always do awesome well uh uh greg speaking of your show uh that you and eli do uh can you go ahead and just uh give a little bit of information out for our fans that want to listen to you guys absolutely so we're on weekdays monday through friday 10 to 1 uh, you can catch us on, on, on the website as well, sports56whbq.com. And as I mentioned earlier, we're on a bunch of social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter and Periscope and YouTube. So there's no reason not, not to catch the show. But if you miss the show because you're working or what have you, then you can always go to the website and we break it down hour by hour. You can listen to the show at your leisure. We'll also put some of our very special guests 
on a uh, an area in the on the website where it's called featured audio. So you get, for example, we had Anthony Miller on the show yesterday. So you can go there for featured audio. You see Anthony Miller, you click it on, you listen to the interview. So there's there's again many different ways and options to listen to the show and watch the show now, which is pretty crazy. Eli, what radio stations are y'all part of now? Where we are on five sixty AM, ninety six. Point one FM and ninety eight point five FM. Um, those are the three three stations that we are on now. So, if you listen to like on FM dial, like if you're like in Jackson, can you listen in Jackson? You know, if uh, you Jackson, you would not get either one of the FM signals. Um, you can kind of you can get five sixty somewhat over there. But the thing too it, with the, the world anymore, we've got a, an app. We've got our own Sports 56 app. So if you're outside of the area, all you can do is pull it up on your phone, pull up the app, and uh, you know, pretty easily to play it through your car speakers or whatever through the app anymore. So uh, so you can do it that way. Obviously, you can get it uh, get it anywhere in the country. But yeah, the FMs are you know the 98.5 is pretty much the the city of Memphis. 96.1 is actually out of Tunica, so it's kind of it covers a decent amount of Memphis, but also kind of covers the North Mississippi area. Um, and then the AM signal, especially during the day on a good day, uh, covers a pretty wide, pretty wide area from, you know, towards Jackson, you know, Little Rock. I mean, you, you and down to Jackson, Mississippi, you can you can cover a pretty wide range with the AM signal. Yeah, Eli, I just want to say also, I'm a delivery driver. Yeah, I'm a delivery yeah. driver and I get you guys crystal clear out there in Jackson. So on 56. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's pretty, it reaches pretty well, like you said, especially on a good day. Um, one thing I did want to say, you mentioned Anthony Miller. Uh, I want to say congratulations to the Boys and Girls Club of Memphis. He donated $15,000 yesterday to the Boys and Girls Club, um, that, uh, I believe he grew up going to, uh, in that community. Um, that's a really cool thing. And, uh, one thing we didn't mention this morning is Riley Patterson is playing in the senior bowl today. So Memphis fans should look out for that. And Brady uh, White is playing in the uh, Hula Bowl tomorrow night. You know, Eli, I just want to say also from yeah, uh, it's, it's a show real quick. Eli, y'all do have some amazing editor, like, on your Sports 56 lineup as well. Y'all have editor guests. I mean, not editor guests, but editor hosts like oh. y'all that do a great job as well. And also your producers. I give them a tons of credit as well from – Anywhere from answering phone calls to helping y'all out when y'all are not even like on the road on satellite. So I just want to say y'all's producers behind the scenes also do a hell of a job as well. So y'all yeah. y'all keep up the good work over there as well. Well, I appreciate Thank it. You. Yeah, we, we've got a we've got a good group, so we're we're that. Uh, but yeah, certainly appreciate that. But yeah. Uh, everyone at Four Star Nation, we have had a great uh, roughly 45-minute interview today with Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. Once again, guys, from everybody here at the Four Star Sports Show, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thanks, y'all.